Hello and welcome to the Life Church Canton podcast. My name is Jared Van Vorst and I'm your host for the show. And I'm one of the pastors at Life Church, which I consider a great honor to be able to shepherd people and teach them uh, about the Word of God, about God's gospel and His good news. And so we pray that uh, wherever you're at today, uh, that you're living into the good news of Jesus. And uh, today you're going to hear a sermon from me as we continue in this series called Sticking to the Gospel. But before we get to that, I want to just take care of a couple items. And as always, remind you to go ahead and subscribe to this podcast if you haven't done so already. And share this with a friend or a neighbor or a coworker if you think it might be meaningful to them. And then also prayerfully consider giving to Life Church Canton. Uh, when you give to Life Church, you're going to hear a little bit about uh, that in the message and why that's important. Uh, but honestly, it, it transforms people's lives uh, because of the work that we get to be a part of. So thank you so much for making that investment. It means uh, a lot. So without further ado, here is the sermon. It's good to be with you. Welcome to Life Church. My name is Jared Van Vorst, and I'm one of the pastors here. And it's an honor to be with you in this way. If you're listening live on Facebook, watching live, you feel free to comment at any moment. If you want to let us know you're new or if you want to connect with us, you're certainly welcome to do that right now, even in this moment. If you're listening later on the podcast or watching later, uh, we're glad that you've decided to join this, this moment and this message for whatever reason. I would just share this with you. Uh, Go ahead and share it with somebody else. If you think this might be impactful uh, to somebody that you know who could use some encouragement as well. We've been in a series called Sticking to the Gospel, and we're going to continue talking about that. But I have a question for you, first of all. Have you ever had this moment where you've been so connected with somebody that you felt like you could read their mind? I'm not trying to be weird or anything, but just somebody that maybe is like a spouse or a best friend that you are so connected with that you're just like, you kind of know what they're thinking, you know that next step, you know that thing that they're going to say. Maybe you can even finish their sentence or you know what's on their mind. Like, I'll give you an example. So my wife and I, we've known each other for a really long time. We've been married for, I should get this right, uh, 13, 14 years. And we've known each other since middle school. So we've gotten a chance to get connected to one another. So now we're at a point in our relationship, and especially since we moved here, I can just look at her and I immediately know when she's in the mood for sushi. What did you think I was going to say? For sushi or Lebanese food. There's like tons of really good Lebanese food here that we've uh, really come to enjoy, and it's been a lot of fun. So I can look at her someday, and we just know like, no, yep, today's a sushi day. It definitely is a sushi day. And we just know, and there's excitement there. There's energy there too, right? And it's not just for silly things like what restaurant you're going to order from. Sometimes it's, it's other things. Maybe just connect on something profound, or maybe, maybe you have a best friend that you're really close to and you're about to say something and then they finish your sentence. Isn't that weird, right? It's, it's cool and weird all at the same time. You can kind of read their minds. But it even happens sometimes in, in kind of intense situations, maybe even crisis situations where you have this connection to somebody and you all just know what to do in the middle of a crisis. 
I'll give you a real small example. Uh, a couple weeks ago, we went on vacation as a family, but we actually went with another family that we're really connected to. They have three kids, and we have three kids, and we were at a lake, and all of the kids were in the water, and the adults were on the sand, and we saw off in the distance some really dark black clouds, and we thought, ah, oh, that's and at a distance, we'll be fine, let's keep on swimming. And then like a minute later, we saw this huge, huge bolt of lightning, almost the kind of lightning that gives you a little bit of a shake. You wonder how close it actually was. And within seconds, within seconds, we were all up and we all had a job. Nobody talked about it. Nobody knew what their job was, but we just sort of still knew what our job was to get everybody ready, to get all our stuff rounded up, to get the kids into, uh, back on the land so that we could all go to our respective vans. And I swear, we were in the vans within like two minutes. It just happened in a moment. We all knew what everybody had to do. Th- this is actually a thing. This, this connection that you have with somebody where you're able to sort of not read their minds necessarily, but it's this neurological concept called mutual mind. And, and mutual mind decisions, uh, they, they come from a particular place. I want you to think about it like this. Think about your brain as like a building with all different kinds of rooms. And you have emotions, you have decision-makings, you have, uh, you have parts of your brain that can decide if you're going to you know, move your hand like this, or if you're going to run, or, or if you're going to feel different things. All of these different rooms in your brain. Well, the mutual mind decisions come from the room of the brain where maturity and character development live. They have that room. Uh, maturity and character. They live in a particular room in the brain, and out of that spot is where those quick impulse decisions come from, and it's also that place where you have that ability to have mutual mind. In other words, it's the decisions that you make, how you respond, we say this, without even thinking, even though you're actually thinking. It's just happening so fast. It comes from that room in the brain. And the more connected you are to somebody else, the more access you have to that brain and the more access they have to that part of the brain as well. Now, here's the thing. The opposite is also true. What about when you're disconnected? Let's even say disconnected from the very same people that you love or that you originally had attachment with, that you had connection with. Sometimes you're not connected. You don't feel connected. Guess what? I've used this phrase before in my marriage even. I'm not a mind reader. I don't know what you're thinking, or we're not on the same wavelength. Right? We, there's actually something going on where we, we almost shut down that part of the brain where character and maturity lives. We shut that room down, and then all of a sudden we feel disconnected. Now, that doesn't just happen with the people that we love. It probably actually happens even more so with the people that aren't necessarily in our lives, the people that we don't have a connection to, maybe even our enemies. And usually in those moments where I think, you know, I'm not a mind reader or I can't tell what you're thinking, usually that comes as a result of the room in my brain where character and maturity lives that hasn't yet been refined. It hasn't grown enough yet. And think about how that's affecting our brains in the middle of a pandemic. We've been in this for several months now. 
And guess what we're experiencing? Disconnection. We may have actually created division intentionally and maybe even enemies. I have a question for you. What emotions do you feel when you have that connection with somebody? When you feel like you can read their mind, you're so connected that you finish their sentence or you know what they're thinking. What do you feel when you have those moments of connection? Go ahead and comment in in the section if you want to, but I would also ask a follow-up question. What emotion do you feel when there's that disconnection? And my guess is that there's both joy and anger, respectively, to the questions. What What if I told you that you could actually participate in creating more of those connections with the people that you already love, yes, but also with strangers and even your enemies? What if I told you that that was a possibility? Would you be on board with that? I want you to think about this. Before you think that this is going to be just a message about a bunch of sort of nerdy neuroscience and head knowledge, I want you to think about it like this. See, the ancient people, we read from the Bible, the ancient people of God understood that the head and the heart and the soul and the stomach and the strength was all interconnected. It's all interwoven. In fact, I even just said that there's a place in the brain that's the house for our emotions. We don't actually feel in our heart Physically speaking, it's a place, it's a room in the brain. And the ancient writers talked about this connection that you can have with somebody in order to develop this mutual mind, and they referred to this kind of connection as sort of an attachment love. And it's this Hebrew word, it goes like this, chesed, chesed, H-E-S-E-D. You really got to get that throat into it in order to say it like the true Hebrew. It's this idea of chesed is loving kindness, attachment love. Sometimes we get the word mercy. Where do we see this? Well, we started to read it last week. Pastor Daniel talked about it. If you didn't get a chance to listen to that message, please go back and listen to it, and you can go right to our justice page and hear it because it's all about doing justice. And we get that from this verse in Micah chapter 6, verse 8, says, no, O people, seems like a weird way to start the sentence. We'll come back to that. No, O people, the Lord has told you what is good, and this is what he requires of you, to do justice or to do what is right, to love mercy, that's chesed, that's to walk humbly with your God. Do what is right, do justice, love mercy, chesed, and walk humbly with your God. It's an important thing for us to think about, especially this idea of chesed, and we'll come back to it, but essentially it's this idea that we have an act of loving kindness that just gives and gives and gives without expecting anything else in return. That's a big kind of concept, chesed. But let's walk through this for just a second because he's talking about doing justice, doing what is right. How? Well, out of a place of loving kindness, of chesed, Okay, well, well, how do we do that? Keep on reading. By walking humbly, that's a key word, walking humbly with your God. Be connected to God. Be so connected, in fact, with a level of humility, because humility means that I don't have it all figured out. I don't have all of the answers, and it might even mean I need to change the way that I 
think, the way that I feel, the way that I see the world. And so if I'm expected to do justice out of this place of chesed, then I need to be connected to God. I need to have chesed with God. I need to walk humbly with God. Well, guess what happens when you walk humbly with God? The character and maturity room in the brain starts to fire up. It starts to get activated because that means God's chesed is starting to work in your brain. And you're starting to have this concept of mutual mind with God to understand what He's calling you to do, what He thinks about. Let's keep talking about neuroscience for just a moment. When we have, this is what they found in in neuroscience, when we have these healthy, developed relationships, guess what? It actually has a positive impact on that room in the brain where character and maturity is. Because what you're doing, when you have connection, when you have chesed with somebody, you're essentially giving them a key to that room. You're giving them access to that room, to come into that room whenever they want, and to even maybe move the furniture around as they see fit. That's a lot of trust. But that's a lot of chesed. That's incredible. If you have chesed with someone, they have access to your ability to grow in character, and to mature. Now remember, the opposite is also true. If there is no chesed, there is no access to your ability to grow and mature. (laughs) Think right now about your Facebook feed. If you're watching live, you're on Facebook. Don't go to your news feed right now, but just think about the times when you've scrolled through your news feed. How many of those people would you say have chesed with you. My guess is as you're scrolling, you're trying to get on by because maybe there's not a whole lot of chesed there. Maybe there's actually people that when you see whatever it is that they post, that it actually enrages you. Well, guess what's going on now? Not only is there no chesed with those people, but actually what's happening is slowly detachment, not attachment, but detachment is starting to form. It has a reverse effect in that same room in the brain where character and maturity is. In other words, it's as though you were to go to that room, you were to shut off all the lights, close the blinds, lock the door, board it up, and never go back in that room again. And if you do that, that leads to immaturity and a lack of character. And not only is that room shut down now in the brain, but another room lights up. You know what room that is? It's the room where fear and anxiety live. That one's firing on all cylinders. There's a party going on in the fear and anxiety room in your brain when the character in the maturity room shuts down. And it creates detachments and enemies. a question for you. Does God have access to that room in your brain where maturity and character can grow? And what does this have to do with sticking to the gospel? Well, gospel is good news. Gospel 
is essentially God's chesed to us. His loving kindness, His grace, His mercy poured out to His people without expecting anything in return, at least for the moment. And He just keeps on giving it. Well, where am I getting that from? Well, let's go back to Micah 6.8. This is where we see this in the beginning of the passage. No, people, the Lord has told you what is good. Another version would say, He's shown you what is good. He's shown you how to do justice. He has shown you chesed. He has shown you what it looks like to walk humbly, being changed with God. Where? How? When? When did he do that, Micah? How how did that happen? Well, we'd have to go back to an event in the people of God's history. And we go back to Exodus and the wilderness. The Exodus is the whole story of God liberating his people out of Egypt, out of slavery, out of oppression, and into the land, the wilderness, and eventually into the land where he's ultimately leading them to live, to get a new, fresh start. His chesed makes that possible through his servant, Moses who leads these people out. And not only does he lead them out, but he constantly gives them love and devotion. He gives them his own chesed, and he's providing for them water, light, shade, shelter, food, all of these kinds of things, even with the expectation that there might not be a return. God shows the ultimate chesed to his people in the Exodus And he continues to do this over and over and over. Not only does he show chesed, but he is chesed. And then he starts to provide some specifics on how to form chesed with God. It's not just going to be God extending it to them, but now there's going to be an attachment that gets created so they can have this mutuality with God. He gives them 613 laws and a sacrificial system as a means for this attachment to be formed. Now, if you've done any reading about the 613 laws or the sacrificial system, maybe you've read the book of Leviticus before, maybe you haven't, it's a little quirky at times. It's a little weird for us as modern people. We might look at that and be like, whoa, that's really strange. I don't really want to read the Bible if that's what it's about, but here's what I want you to think about. It might seem like some of that stuff is extreme, but why would it need to be so extreme? Think about this. They've spent 200 to 400 years in slavery under oppression, under dehumanizing conditions. They've been detached. They've lived in fear from their enemies, the Egyptians. They have experienced nothing but trauma. In other words, there has been no chesed, For hundreds of years, how would you recover coming out of a situation like that? How would you recover from dehumanizing trauma for centuries? Some of you experience mental health or live with somebody who experiences some kind of mental illness. And you can't just say, well, just get over it. Just move on. It should be done. No, it It doesn't just happen in the snap of a finger. It doesn't just go away. Think how much more the trauma of an entire people group living enslaved for hundreds of years. 
What's going to have to be done? Well, there's going to have to be some extreme measures in order for them to recover. I want you to think rehab program. Now, if you and I think about rehab, we might look at it as the general public and think, well, yeah, those are some extreme measures, but we get it, we understand, because if a person is coming out of some kind of addiction or abuse or some other thing that made them less than human, then it's going to take some time for them to heal. And eventually the goal is that they would come out of that and you'd be able to strip away some of those extreme measures so that they are able to be sort of a contributor to society and a healthy member of society. Well, the Israelites, they get 613 laws. They get a sacrificial system in order to form this connection and attachment with God. But guess what? It doesn't properly form them. The people aren't ultimately formed by God's hased. It's not God's fault. It's the people's fault. They didn't give God their attachment, their attention, their love and devotion, and they weren't properly formed by what He was doing for them and to them. And so ultimately, their rehab, healing, wasn't working. And and not only that, but the healing wasn't just for them. It was ultimately so that God's hased would be extended to them so they could extend it to others, to the whole world, to the nations. And often we talk about these words, the poor, the widow, the orphan, and the foreigner. You heard that in Daniel's message last week. These are the people that he wants them to now care for. But the reality is, is that they were those people at one point. And so by the time that we get back to Micah 6, 8, they hadn't done this. They hadn't extended Hesed to the people. In fact, if anything, they went into reverse. They, they actually became the oppressor in some cases. They became greedy and living all for themselves. And so Micah has to make it abundantly clear. And he says this at the beginning of verse 8. No. Oh, people, no, he's shown you what is good. In other words, what he's saying is, this is how you thought it was supposed to be. This is what you thought the world was supposed to be like. This is what you really desired for yourself. But no, this is what the Lord has told you to do. This is what he has shown you. And this is what he requires of you to do what's right, to love mercy, chesed, and to walk humbly with your God. They hadn't done it. And so, essentially, God's saying, we're not on the same wavelength here. There's no mutual mind here. Remember that connection of neuroscience and, and chesed? If you have chesed with someone, they have access to that room in the brain where character and maturity lives. If there's no chesed, that room gets shut down. And the other room lights up, the room that causes immaturity and detachment and fear and anxiety. And fear creates enemies. It keeps people at a distance. The Israelites hadn't been formed by God's said because they've neglected their purpose to extend said to the world. What would you do if you're God in this situation? 
I could think of a couple things. I could think of giving up. I could think of saying, you know what? They haven't gotten it for a couple hundred years. They're not going to get it. But that's not our God. Because what did I say earlier? Not only does God show chesed, but God is chesed. See, even though there's some frustration in the prophetic book of Micah, it ends on a very positive note. This is what it says in verse 18, chapter 7, verse 18 to 20. Where is another God like you? How can anybody compare to you? Where's another God like you who pardons the guilt of the remnant, those people who had come from the exodus, overlooking the sins of his special people? You will not stay angry with your people forever. Because you delight in showing unfailing love. Chesed. It's who you are. It's what you do. It's what you show. Once again, you will have compassion on us. You will trample our sins under your feet and throw them into the depths of the ocean. You will show us your faithfulness and unfailing love. There's that word again, chesed. As you promised to our ancestors, Abraham and Jacob, long ago, God, this is who you are, and you're going to do it again. You're going to show us chesed again. When? How? How is this going to happen? Well, guess what? See, Micah's not only speaking prophetically about what's going to happen, about some event, but he's also speaking about a person. Chesed is going to be embodied in the person of God's own son, Jesus. And Jesus shows up, and he immediately gets to work, and he starts living out this chesed and embodying it, and he even talks about it. He gives this really famous sermon in the book of Matthew, chapter 5, verse 8. It says, God blesses those who are merciful. Why? For they will be shown mercy. What's he saying here? What's Jesus up to here? Jesus is doubling down on this concept of God's chesed. In other words, what he's saying is when you show mercy, when you show chesed, when you extend that to somebody, it means, it means that it's coming from a place of being shown mercy. It means you get it. It means you have mutual mind with God's chesed for you. It's almost like it's the evidence of the chesed that's been forming you already. He goes into another part of his sermon in Matthew chapter 5 and into chapter 6 even. And he starts reminding them, reminding this predominantly Jewish audience in the book of Matthew about the, the different things that they would have known about, their history, their ancestry, for hundreds of years, coming out of the Exodus, and he starts saying this phrase, you have heard it said. You have heard it said. Remember when. Remember what Moses told you. Remember what you experienced in the Exodus, in the wilderness. And then when God brought you out of that and into the land that he called you, remember that. And of course they remember. Of course they know. They have a huge tradition of remembering their whole tradition is about remembering what has come before them. And so Jesus says, you have heard it said, you have heard it said, you have heard it said. He says it over and over to remind them of their history and their tradition. But then he does something new. He says, you have heard it said, but I tell you. Wait, wait what? 
there's a change here? Wait a second. For, for like hundreds of years, yes, I've heard it said this and this and this and this. You're going to change it on me? But I tell you? What, what are you saying, Jesus? Think about it like this. It'd be like Henry Ford coming along and saying, hey, you have heard it said that horse and buggy was the best way to get around, but I tell you, the automobile. Revolutionary change. Why is Jesus bringing about a change here? It's because they hadn't been properly formed by God's chesed. And so God shows up in the flesh to tell them exactly what they need to know. Guess what Jesus is doing here? He's trying to get access to that room in the brain where our character and maturity lives. But guess what? It's, it's going to be hard. It's going to be hard to change that because if that area of the brain for the Jewish people, the Israelite people, has been shut down, it's been, the lights have been turned off, the door has been closed, it's maybe even been boarded up, maybe for hundreds of years because they hadn't been properly formed by God's said, guess what? When you go back to that room, you're going to have to tear down those boards, open the door, open it up, and whoosh, it's going to stink in there. There's going to be cobwebs everywhere. That room has not been used it is musty and stinky and smelly, and somebody's got to open a window. Somebody's got to turn the lights on because we got to start getting this room going again. It means it's going to be painful. It's going to be hard when Jesus says, you have heard it said, but now I tell you. It's going to be hard. I'll give you an example for what he says in the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 5, verse 43, you have heard that the law says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Of course, we all know that one, Jesus, but I say, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. I don't, I don't want to open up that door in that, that room in the brain. I don't, I, don't want to, I don't want to grow in that way. I don't want to have that kind of character. No, 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 no. God is said. And it should be forming you. It should be changing you and growing you and maturing you and growing your character because you thought the world was like this. I'm here to tell you that it's actually about loving your enemies. It's actually about extending chesed to the people that are hardest to extend chesed to. How are we going to do that? That's my third question for you. How do we have chesed not just for the people that we love, but for complete strangers and even our enemies. We go back to Matthew chapter 5, verse 7. God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. If you are merciful, if you show chesed to somebody, it's a good, good chance that you might have received chesed, that you might actually understand it so you know how to extend it. But if I don't have the ability to show chesed, that might mean that I haven't been fully formed by God's chesed. Which is why Jesus says over and over, follow me. Follow me. Not just learn about me, but be with me. Form an attachment to me. Be connected to me so that we can have mutual mind if we're speaking neurologically. 
Follow me. Watch my every move so that you can actually understand what Hesed is. Because Jesus embodies Hesed. He doesn't just show it. He is it. Jesus says, follow me. Almost as though he's saying neurologically, we can have mutual mind together. And actually, Paul, I like to call Paul the first century neurologist because he says it this way to the Romans, let God transform you, how? By the renewing of your mind. Because then you will be able to know, you'll learn to know what God's will is. If there was ever a verse to talk about neurological mutual mind, that's it. Be so connected to God. Have chesed with God and let him come into that room where character and maturity can grow so that you can know what he's thinking and know what he's calling you to do. What happens when you have chesed with Jesus? What happens if you're so connected to Jesus? Well, neuroscience says that that room in the brain where character and maturity lives it actually determines our first impulse reaction or responses to a whole lot of things. Well, that means, in other words, what we do without thinking, if Jesus is forming that part of the brain, that means we're going to start acting and talking like Jesus. If Jesus is doing an action 2,000 years ago, we're going to finish his sentence. We're going to finish that action because we're going to have mutual mind with God in Christ Jesus. God's said motivates us to compassion, not just for the ones we love, but for the poor, the disenfranchised, the marginalized, the locked out, even. God even unlocks our ability to love our enemies. Last question. How do you know if it's working? How do you know if it's working? James, the brother of Jesus, seems to have a pretty good idea of how we really know if we're living this way, if we're living this out, if we're understanding God's said for us. He says this in James chapter 2, verses 12 to 17, speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. It sounds a lot like Jesus, doesn't it? God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. James picks up right where Jesus left off. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food, if one, one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is that? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. It means we probably haven't been properly formed by the said of God. This is how important chesed is because it's how we stick to the gospel. And here's the thing, it's possible. 
It's possible to live this way. We see this in the first century church. In the book of Acts, chapter 2 and chapter 4, you have this community of believers who are forming chesed with one another, and it's so strong that they're sharing with everybody so that nobody has any needs. And then it goes on to say this, that they were of one mind, mutual mind. This is the early forms of neuroscience and chesed forming the character and the maturity of people so that nobody has any needs. Everybody's taken care of. Yeah, but, but Jared, what if I lose something in the process? What if I lose something like time or, or, or money or status? What if I lose something? Let me ask you this. What's our standard if you're a follower of Jesus? It's Jesus. That's, that's the Sunday school answer. Jesus is the standard. And what, what did he give? What did he lose? Well, he gave his life, his whole life. It's this whole idea of chesed, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's chesed, and there's no promise of any kind of return. That's why we as a church, at Life Church, we embody this idea of chesed. We call it whatever it takes, wherever it takes us. And there's such an incredible story where this actually happened fairly recently. Uh, you can go to the now page and go to the very bottom, and it's this button that says share a story. And somebody did that and shared the story about our LifeWorks team, which is actually getting together this coming Saturday. If you want to help out, there's information on the now page. But I want to read this story. She says this, I experienced God working in our community these last two weeks as two small teams from LifeWorks served an elderly couple experiencing multiple health issues. Many different people were brought together over two weekends to wash, scrape, and paint a porch. Even though they are Christ followers, all volunteers were encouraged by the couple and felt the gratitude and connection to community through service of those in need. That's said. While many were discouraged that we didn't have many volunteers for the two weekends, seeing the way Ron and Susie were filled with the joy of our team's presence and efforts filled everyone's soul. We prayed over them and left with a $600 donation from them to our church to help serve others in our community. What a blessing. I would say absolutely what a blessing, but also what a great story of Hasid. What does that mean for you and me? What do I want you to do with this? I have some steps, some action items that I want you to take. And the first one is simply this. Do what this person did and share a story. Share a story of Hasid in your own life. Maybe when you have received it from somebody else and they expected nothing in return and it absolutely changed your life. Maybe it actually began to transform you by the renewing of your mind, made you think differently about people. Or maybe share a story of God's said to you. Second, I want you to give. Giving is a natural outpouring of said. Giving without expecting anything else in return. When you give to Life Church, you're actually giving to ways in which we are able to extend chesed to others. 
Your giving matters. Lastly, I want you to practice mercy. Why do I say practice? Well, we're never fully going to get this right until Christ comes back. So practice mercy. Practice chesed. Think of a person or a people group that you might consider at a distance. I'll even use the word enemy because that's what Jesus said. Who are your enemies? And I want you to pray for them. You can pray for their heart, absolutely, but I want to ask you to go further. See, we're called to do what is right, to love mercy, chesed, and to walk humbly with God. Humility implies that we don't have it all figured out. So when you're praying for them, also pray first for yourself. God, change my heart. God, I give you access to the room in my brain where I still need to grow. Why do I keep them at a distance? What is it in me that needs to change? That's what it looks like to walk humbly with God. And some of you might be asking, well, who's my enemy? I'm having a hard time thinking about who my enemies are. Well, think about this. That first impulse in your brain comes from the room that has character and maturity. When you see somebody that you don't like, that brings about fear and anger and retribution, and that's your first impulse, that means it's coming from that room where character and maturity haven't yet been refined. We need to continually be refined. But even more so, it's imperative that we reflect on the chesed of God, first and foremost. We get to do that by looking at Paul's letter to the Ephesians once again. In chapter 2, verse 1, once you were dead, don't, don't forget about where you came from. Don't forget about what God did for you once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. You used to live in sin, just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He's the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God, to be formed by God's chesed. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger just like everyone else. Remember that. Be humble. But also know this. But God. But God is so rich in, what's that word? Mercy. God is so rich in mercy. And he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. That's the gospel that we're sticking to. So now we extend that chesed to one another. You might be watching or listening right now, and you have never really experienced the chesed of God. But you want that. You want to have that mutual mind. You want to have that attachment kind of love. And you want to extend that to others. You can do that. 
right now. There's no boundaries. There's no walls that would keep you away. God is here. He is open. He is ready to receive you because all he's going to do is keep pouring out chesed over and over and over. He wants to overwhelm you with it. So if you want that, I want to invite you to pray along with me and it might sound something like this. God, I've been looking everywhere for life. And I just find myself tired and worn out. Maybe at times I feel dehumanized. I feel detached and disconnected. I want the ultimate form of attachment. I want your said love and mercy. God, you have access to the room and my brain and into my heart to start forming me and shaping me. I give you access today. In Jesus' name.